I am your host, Smitty, back with another one, man. And today I am joined by a special guest, activist, advocate, and change maker, Alana Scott. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And hello, everyone. I know I'm pretty honored to be here, especially with everything that you're doing with your podcast. So like I said, it's truly an honor to be here with you. All right. And before we get started, uh, where can people find you on social media, anywhere else, like uh, LinkedIn, anything like that? Yes. <laughs> so I definitely can be found on LinkedIn. I just actually finished updating my profile and that can be found under Alana Scott, as well as my personal Instagram, which is at I'm Lana Scott. So those are my two accounts that you can gotcha. kind of contact me. And um, true to, to to what we was doing here earlier, right? So on your LinkedIn, are you the same person on LinkedIn as you are <laughs> in real life or is that? So I think that's the beauty of social media in this age. Mm. So on my LinkedIn, I'm very professional, you know, <laughs> I think. That comes where you can be versatile. So my personal account, that's me. I'm adventurous. I like to have fun, you know, going to different adventures. Mm. But on LinkedIn, you see the more professional and what I'm aligned to the, do. The, the safer work side. Yeah, safer work. <laughs> got clear, you, got clear. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So getting straight into it, uh, you are currently a justice advisor for Connecticut Justice Alliance. Yes. For anyone who is not familiar with Connecticut Justice Alliance, what is it that they do? How can someone be involved and what got you into that space okay so basically what the connecticut justice alliance is we actually just changed our name too so it was formerly the connecticut juvenile justice alliance mm. and that was because we kind of cater our work to advocating ending the criminalization of youth but we thought like the name juvenile is kind of really incriminating so we wanted to be extremely intentional with the language so that's our new name which we're very proud of we got a lot of positive feedback for that but um, for someone who would want to join a lot of the positions, as such as myself, which is a justice advisor, those are all contracted positions. Mm. So as of now, we are actually looking for new team members. So if you visit the CT Juven Justice Alliance, I'm sorry, Instagram, you can find the link where you can go on their website. Um, you can see our Invest in Me campaign and everything like that. And if you're interested in our work, you definitely can sign up to be a part of it. So, yeah. Okay. And then for the title justice advisor. All right. So for me, like on the outside looking in, I hear justice advisor. I'm thinking like, you're like a lawyer, like, uh, <laughs> like is it, is it something to that extent? So like? I would say it's more so an advocacy role. So okay. like we sit in meetings with different legislators and senators and kind of advocate on behalf of the voices of young people. So a lot of times when policymakers are making decisions for youth and, you know, different kinds of people, they don't have the people who they directly affect sitting at those meetings that's a fact yes so that's something that i think is extremely important so we are those young people who sit at the table and basically give our opinions and insights onto real lived and life experience on these matters which is pretty cool believe it or not okay okay dope dope and for anyone who's like you know i'm not big into politics or i don't do politics or anything like that what would you say to someone who's kind of like yeah i don't, don't want to get my hands involved in politics what would you say to that person so what i would say is even we have some people on our team who like they're very passionate about you know the things ending the criminalization of youth but they're not public speakers or they mm. get frightened writing testimonies and things like that so I'm very thankful that I work with a team and especially leadership who meet people where they're at. So say, for example, public speaking is not my forte. I get nervous. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you doing but, good so far. Thank you. <laughs> but we my 
supervisors basically will meet you where they're at, like I said. And if you don't feel comfortable with this, they'll kind of like push you to kind of get out of that comfort zone so you can grow a little bit. Mm. But they'll also work with you so and give you the tools that are needed for you to feel like you're successful in the work that we do. Got you, got you, got you. And um, as far as some of the things that you guys have been doing in the community, I saw that recently, uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago, or yes. how, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, that there was a, a bill raised to, what was it, to raise the age that a child can be arrested or yes. something to that effect? So it was the HB bill, I think it's 6919, if I'm remembering correctly. Yes. So that was the JJPOC bill. And one of the different parts of that bill was we were advocating to raise the age, the minimum age of arrest in Connecticut. Mm. So what that means is this kind of blew my mind. In Connecticut, a young person as far as seven years old, I want to say, can be arrested. Yes. And like have a record and everything like. Yeah. E, OK. Yeah. <laughs> so we were kind of advocating to, you know, raise that age a little bit more to be 12. Um, so they were kind of a little flexible with us, but they didn't raise it to 12, more so 10. Mm. So I think going back next year in our legislative sessions, one of our main priorities is kind of to up that age because, yeah. you know, getting a young person involved with the legal system, that can be a very traumatic experience in itself and can kind of introduce them to, you know, that behavior of yeah. repeating itself. So it's like, you know, you want to give these kids an opportunity for success without hindering them and allowing them to learn from their mistakes without being so much punitive, so to speak. Mm. So, yeah. And I could imagine me being transparent. I did a lot of yes, dumb things when too. I was a kid. A lot of <laughs> things I wouldn't tell nobody or like I would regret. And like to think that as young as seven, that's what, like second grade? Yes. So you I can, have my you young brother. My brother is seven, and I'm just thinking, like, you know, he does silly things all the time. Yeah. They're young; they don't know better yet. So that just blew my mind. That's 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 beyond me. That that's even a thing. And a lot of people who are gonna listen to this that may be like they may have never known that at seven years old you can be arrested, have a record, be in a system, and like now you're like a number, a statistic, and like there's data yeah. on you. Like it yeah. it gets very deep. Um, so I'm I'm proud of you guys for doing that. I didn't Thank even know you. that that was a thing, and definitely get that number to twelve, man, yeah. at least because uh, that that prison pipeline is very real. It is real. It is real, and I think another one of our main priorities was we kind of were talking about the removal of SROs in schools. Mm. So student resource officers, or even just police in the schools. I and, was going to ask you about that too. And I'm very transparent. So, like I. I previously mentioned, you know, I had a father who was incarcerated. Mm. So seeing policemen automatically triggered me. And especially yeah. being in the school environment, you know, that's supposed to be a safe space. You know, you want to be there to learn, get out, you know, <laughs> do what you need to do. And being having those officers in those spaces can be a lot, can be really triggering for a mm -hmm. lot of brown and, you know, people of color. So that's, that, that's this is very that's true. Intense. Yeah. But a lot of the pushback that we received from them is that, you know, well, parents say they make them feel safe. You know, being an officer in the school, people are less inclined to, you know, kind of act out or like bring mm. weapons to school and things like that. But in all actuality, data says no, no, no ma'am, not, no, ma <laughs> <laughs> yeah. not at all. And I remember like for me, I went to Central High School mm -hmm. here in Bridgeport and 
I always thought that the experience I had, everyone had in high school. And it wasn't until I got older that I realized people didn't. Like, I would come into school. The first thing we do is open our backpacks, show us in our backpack. They go through it. We hand them the backpack. We walk through a metal detector, show our school ID. They give us the backpack back, and then we go to class. And the whole time, there's, like, five security guards there. And then there's a, a school police officer, like, maybe, like, 20 feet away. And to us, that was normal. And I thought everybody did that. No. <laughs> Until I got older. And I'm like, wait, you didn't have a cop at your school? Yeah. You didn't have metal detectors? You didn't have to, like, you could just walk in and out? It was that easy? Yeah, and that's another problem. So a lot of those heightened securities are in urban schools. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're kind of already criminalizing those students before they, you know, they don't have behaviors. They're just going to school. Things as simple like that. But even in, like you said, you went to Central High School. In Fairfield, they don't have, you know, you go to school with metal detectors and different things like yeah. that. So it's totally different experiences for different people based off of where you live. And that's really unfortunate. So if you could suggest an alternative, like, you know, instead of having, uh, was it student resource officers yeah. in schools? Do you think just a level of just having regular security guards would be good or just different measures should be in place other than just having a resource officer? So I say different measures and more so because even in like a lot of the visiting sessions that we talked with, um, the SROs, they basically, we asked them, if you can be replaced with anybody, who would you be replaced with? And mm. a lot of them said mentors. That's a good question. So, you know, just people who can help them build those connections. But I more so would say counselors. You know, I'm very open. A lot of those kids have problems that are deeply rooted and they lash out or have these behaviors as a result of these problems. Some people, you know, they go home, they may not have food to eat or a bed to sleep in. And, you know, sometimes they may just need that one person to talk to. And I definitely think that if you would bring in more counselors, especially in urban schools where they don't have them, they could do great justice for these kids. And that's a big thing too, that counseling piece, because now that I think about it and this interview is really making me think about my own experience, (laughs) but like, I could name my security guards, but mm-hmm. I could not tell you the name of the social worker at my high school. And that's, yeah. So even, okay, I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but even in that's school, fine. we Go did ahead. like a pilot program and we d- I did my project on the removal of SROs mm. and the school of choice, I did it based off of the demographics of Central. And oh, what man. they said, there was, I want to believe there was like five security officers mm. and there was only three counselors. So you like, you're already telling me what's more important yeah. off of that. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, man. Okay. Yeah. So you'd rather keep their behaviors in check versus, like, allowing them the opportunity to actually talk about the things that they're going through and that what may lead to it. So it's it's unfortunate. And this is something, as we have this conversation, and I'm really enjoying it, this is something that we may need to revisit and, uh-huh. like, bring a lot of other, like, bring in, like, two other people and have, like, this roundtable-type discussion about I'm this. I'm down for this it. Is, I like where this is going, man. And I, I'm with you that there should just be different measures in place. I think people are very quick to address the behavior Mm, and not the source and not the source like Mm -hmm. there's a reason that this child is doing what they're doing yeah and we have to get to the root of that reason and not just okay he did something bad i'm gonna punish them for doing something bad you know there's a lot of different ways we could go about that um even now where i work um we i work with kids Mm -hmm. and they go through the it's 
now it's a, like a summer program, but mm-hmm. then when school's in session, it's like an after school program. Okay. And we do everything we can to not remove a student, to not suspend them, to not kick them out. We refer them to, it's at LifeBridge Community Services here yeah, in Bridgeport. Yeah, yeah. And they have behavioral health services on the other side of the building and mental health services and all of that. So instead of removing a child and kicking them out of the program, yeah. we refer them and get them help and hook them yeah. up with a counselor and go that route. And then they can come back once they've shown that they've done that work to get better. Yeah. And that route is so much more effective for the kids. And I've seen where it works for the kids instead of just, Oh, you're expelled, you're suspended, you're kicked out. And then they have nothing to look forward to, nothing to enjoy. And you, you never know. So some kids that might be the one thing that's keeping them together. So you kick them out and they're like, well, what's wrong with me? You know, well, they can't accept me here. So, you know, I might as well do, whatever yeah. you know and they start feeling like i'm not good enough to yes. be anywhere like i'm not good enough to be in school i'm not good enough mm-hmm. to be in a program and then it's it's it's, it's, it's down like a domino effect yeah yeah okay so now transitioning off of that not just only being a justice advisor for connecticut justice alliance but you are also the vice president of triumph talk Yes. So can you talk to us about Triumph Talk and what that is? Because it's a very powerful thing I'm seeing. Thank you. So Triumph Talk is actually basically an organization. Um, A friend of mine, Talia, she actually created this organization to help women overcome traumatic experiences. So what we do is we're basically a platform where we also amplify women's voices and their traumatic experiences and how they basically overcome those experiences. Mm. And what we found is by, you know, sharing, allowing these women to have a platform and sharing their experiences, it also creates great conversation. You know, a lot of people, you know, when they go through traumatic experiences, they're, they're like, well, I'm the only one that this happened to or why me? Yeah. So it kind of allows them to connect with another person and see how they, you know, were able to turn their pain into power in a sense. Pain into power. I like I like the phrasing of that. I definitely yeah. like that. So now uh, exploring the page and just looking at all the content you have, you also have your own personal story up there that you spoke about. Yes. Uh, can you speak to that a little bit? I know you mentioned a couple of things in there that um, stood out to me. One of them was having an inconsistent parent. Yeah. Um. What was that like for you? I know you talked about the aspect of how it affects you with like police officers and things mm-hmm. like that, but just having a parent who's not physically there, how does that affect you? Okay. So like I said before, I'm very open, transparent, and honest. Mm. So my father was incarcerated for a majority of my life. And when he would come back, it was like, I'm back. I'm going to do right. Mm. So you kind of have that little sense of hope. And then it's like, okay. You're right back there. So it's kind of like a cycle. And what I noticed with me, I kind of internalized those feelings. So it kind of made me feel like, well, is something wrong with me that, you know, yeah. he can't stay? Like, is it, is it me? Or, you know, it kind of plays a major toll on your emotions. And when I was going through a lot of these emotions, my mom, I have a really great mom, thank God. <laughs> but <laughs> um, she really didn't know how to connect me with those resources. So for a long time, I found myself internalizing those feelings, like I said, and, and I was depressed mm. for a while. And no one noticed, you know. So with with that came, I remember one day I was just like, I had enough. You know, like I realized I'm in control of my future and I'm no longer going to allow my sadness to kind of overtake me. Yeah. So I made it my point to become the person that I desperately needed when I was younger. And Mm. that's something that like really, really drives me. That's why I do everything that I do. 
You know, if I could just reach one person, if I could just help one person, you know, you ne- you never know what that could do for someone. Yeah, you never, you yeah. never do. Have you had that experience where you've been able to see where you've reached a person and helped a person? Have yes. you had that moment yet? Yes, I have. <laughs> so there was a young boy and the, I, when I was working in residential, um, he was going through a lot. He was going through a lot. And he started to like pick up my behaviors or like I'd use words of affirmation. So like at the beginning of our meeting, you saw my phone kind of went off (laughs) and it was one of my affirmation. And for three o'clock, that affirmation is no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Mm. So like every hour I have these different affirmations going off and he used to be like, Miss Alana, well, what's that? And he was intrigued. And then at bedtime one day, I remember he was like, Miss, can you teach me how to pray? You said praying, praying really helped you. Can you teach me? And that moment, I was just like, oh, my goodness, my heart. You know, I was trying yeah. to like, don't cry, bro, don't cry. Like, don't let this little <laughs> boy see you it, cry. Do but, you know, just reaching him and, like, you know, just seeing over time, there were times where he used to curse me out. And I used to be like, you know, it's, it's I get it. <laughs> like, you're going through mm. a lot. You don't have an outlet. And I used to just, I was patient with him. And I would just work with him. And then at the end of the program, so he was transitioning to somewhere else, he wrote me a letter and he was just like, thank you for all that you do. I know sometimes you may feel like what you were doing was stupid, but thank you for being the person that stuck with me. Man. And for me, it was just like, oh, like, <laughs> my heart. And that's why I do what I do. I, The thing about me is I'm very genuine. I'm a people person. And I mm. love to make people feel good and happy. And if there's anything that I can ever do for people, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm always been like that. So. And how old was this young boy? He was 11. 11 and for him to like be able to understand that and articulate that and say like mm-hmm. thank you for being the person that stuck with me like it just lets you know how much that younger kids really understand and feel these emotions yeah. and that we shouldn't really like downplay anything that they feel yeah. because in that little critical time in his life that difference that you made he'll probably remember that for the rest of his life yes. and it'll probably really shape him Yes, his his picture sits on my desk at home. I'm like, oh, like, <laughs> you know, hey. <laughs> and you have people that work, yeah. that you work with that like do stuff like that for you, man. I, I had a moment. Uh, I had left the job in April, and a lot of the people that I worked with, they all live in Bridgeport and are in yeah. the community. So like, literally everywhere I go, <laughs> I run into somebody. <laughs> and I went to the diner, me and one of my friends, and I walk in, and there's two clients that I used to work with yeah. Yeah. and they're like they haven't seen me since like April this is like two weeks ago I went and they're like I could hear them and we made eye contact and I'm like dang okay they saw me dang, yeah. I can't run you, now yeah but I know for my jobs they used to be like well you can't approach them unless they approach you yeah. so it's like I see you I know you see me and so. then they, I could hear them and they're like is that Jordan oh my god that's Jordan so I'm like I, I say hi to them and I talk to them and then I go sit down and I'm eating and then they come over and talk again they leave and then they come Aww. and one of them was like she was like you know Jordan when you first started working with me at the the program that we were at she mm-hmm. was like you know I was nervous and it was hard for me and I, I didn't know how things were gonna go and you told me to just you know stay patient and things will work themselves out and it's gonna be okay and she was like you know things are really getting better for me and I remember you saying that and that means a lot to me and yeah. all of that I'm like man this 
Like the things we say and like the impact we have on yeah. people is real. And you don't always know how much you really like impacting somebody. So Yeah, because even like from that experience, I remember there was days I used to sit in my car and be like, am I doing, is it effective? Like, is Yeah, he, does it mean does, anything? Yes, does it mean anything? And it was like, you know, sometimes, you know, just keep pushing, just keep pushing. And, you know, the end turnout is definitely something that drives me. It's nice, you know? Yeah. It's nice. And it's definitely moments like that in this helping professions that we find ourselves in where it's like, is this even working? Like, yes. like I, good God. Do I want to be here anymore? Like, this is, I ain't signed up for this. And yes. Like, Ooh. Yeah, especially being cursed out part. Yo, I remember I was working at a, a boys group home in Danbury. And my first day was cool, you know, transitioning, blah, 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 blah. And this was working 6 to 2, so I'm in Bridgeport, and I got to get to Danbury, Danbury by 6 a.m. Like yeah, it was, it was a lot. But um, my second day, there was this kid who was coming back, and I guess he was, like, the problematic person there. Mm-hmm. And the reason he was coming back, he had gone AWOL from the program. So he left. He a runner. He call, a track star. Yo. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sprinter. Like, Usain Bolt. So he... <laughs> He ran, called a taxi, took a taxi all the way to Enfield, because I guess that's where his family's from. Took a taxi to Enfield, got out the taxi, skipped out on him, didn't pay him, owed him mad bread, and just took off. And then somehow he got reconnected with his family, and then they brought him back. And he comes back, and he's cool for a little while. We outside. I'm trying to get to know him. He's playing basketball, shooting hoops. And then we go inside, and first thing he says is, I'm not staying here no more. I'm leaving. And took off. And now I'm running around Danbury trying to find this kid. And I'm like, nah, I don't know if this is for me. It'd be some of those moments where you're like, dang, I I don't know about this. But it ended up being a situation where we were finally able to, like, get through to him and bring mm-hmm. him back in and reel him back in and like he started to make progress by the time I like I eventually left there mm-hmm. but it's it's you, people just need consistency in their lives yes. they yeah. really need that and like that solid support behind them so mm-hmm. I'm glad that you were able to be that for somebody and I know thank that you're you. still that for a lot of people thank you yeah um another thing that you said in that uh that clip that you put on the triumph talk site the mm-hmm. The, the Instagram page. Uh, you talked about Psalms 35. Mm, yes. Where it says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Can you speak about what that means to you? Yes. it's That's my favorite quote of all time. Especially because, like I said, when I was going through that depressive phase, you know, mm. I used to tell myself, you may cry right now, but in the morning, it's a new day. You know, it's a new opportunity to turn whatever you're going through around. So, like I said, don't allow yourself to wallow in the sadness, but to know that no pain lasts forever, essentially. So, yes, you may be hurting right now. Yes, it may not feel good. You know, that's a part of feeling through your emotions. And, you know, at the end of the tunnel, there's light. So, that's what that quote means to me, and it's something that deeply resonates with my spirit. So, I'm going to ask you this, too. Yeah. Do you feel like not just, you know, putting your own works and effort into it and, and all those things like that. But do you feel like your spirituality, your faith plays a huge part in how you feel, how you overcome yeah. things? How yeah. big is that for you? It's major. It's major. <laughs> Cause I noticed when I'm out of alignment with the will of God, that's when my anxiety will start. That's when like, I'll start mm-hmm. to overthink, you know, depression will settle in. And like the, pr- the power of prayer is really strong for me. So like whenever I'm going through something, I will cast all my burdens at his feet. Like, Mm. The shower, 
my mother, everyone in my house knows I take hour <laughs> showers. And when I'm in the shower, I sing, I pray. Like, mm. that's just my safe space. So I definitely do think spirituality plays a key part and like all of those emotions and getting through things because I remember when I was at my lowest and like I said those feelings don't feel so good and I would just cry and cry but I would pray mm. and I would pray and I would pray and over time I slowly felt like my endurance building up again and like you know I would come from a place where you didn't want to get out of bed you didn't want to eat to okay I can do this yeah. you know like I got this and even a major part of that is fasting for me so like when I when I'm all out of whack or I just feel like I need to be more in tune I will fast and I, something I do pretty frequently, too. So, like, starving my body. I remember my first day of fasting. So, you're not <laughs> supposed to tell nobody. They made this huge dinner, and I was so sad. <laughs> but I'm like, you know, it builds that discipline. And that's also something that I'm trying to get better with is my discipline. Mm, so Discipline you know, is huge. Spiritual, you know, that really plays a major part in all of that. Yeah. So, you, you said you noticed that when you're outside of the will of God, mm -hmm. you know, and shifting this a little bit. If you can answer this, because I think this, if your answer to this can help a lot of people, how do you know when you're in the will of God? Um, anything, what is, my mom says this to me, anything that comes with confusion means that mm. you're outside of the will of God. So sometimes when I find myself in situations or like I will notice my thoughts, because I'm a thinker, I like, I analyze Same. everything, I'm Same. extremely observant. You know, it's a blessing and it's a curse, but, you know, when that, that confusion sets in or like, well, did this happen? Did you know, what about that? Like, and, but then I notice when I'm in the will of God, it's peace that surpasses all understanding. So all those thoughts, it's literally like cricket, cricket, cricket. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's peaceful. And when you're outside of the will of God, that's when all that emotional turmoil sets in. And like I said, the confusion and everything. So for me personally, that's how I know. Dope. I, I love that answer. And I know I I, I just feel it. Yeah. Somebody is really going to benefit from that answer. I hope so. I hope because so. Because that's one of walking with God is one of the most challenging things yeah. because it's not like you're always going to have that that quick response back. Yes. And yes. Yes. And yes. we we really like I know I, I crave that sometimes. Like, yeah. I just want to know. I just yeah. want an answer. Mm -hmm. I just want to know I'm doing the right thing. Am I am I going the right way? Am I? But it's it's sometimes the most uncomfortable place to be yeah. is in the will of God, but it's always the best place to be. Yeah, and even I know with me, like you said, sometimes you crave that tangible touch or, you yeah. know, just a word. And I'm good for, um, Lord, um, hello, like, where you at? <laughs> but even sometimes I'm like, okay, just give it to me on Twitter. If I'm scrolling down my feed, if mm. confirmation that you hear me or something like that, just little things. And for me, sometimes, you know, I'll just be scrolling. I, sometimes, you know, I give the Lord a, di a timeline. I'm like, God, can you do this by 7 o'clock? And literally, he always comes through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so be, I'm like, even if it's 6.59. Right, that, that, that's why I call him the 11th hour God, because he always comes in at the 11th yeah. hour and makes everything okay. So, you know, yeah. Man. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Uh, the third thing that I wanted to get into from that video, uh, you mentioned, and we talked about it before we started the interview. Uh, you, there's a quote that you said, you said, what you allow is what will continue. Yes. And that really stood out to me because I'm a big person on like setting boundaries. Mm -hmm. And that's something I had to learn even I in relationships. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, this behavior is going to continue. Like I'm going to keep seeing this result until I, I, I draw that line in the mm -hmm. sand and I don't allow it. So how has that process been for you, learning to set that boundary, learning 
not not even just learning, but being able to say, I'm not going to allow this anymore. What has that process been like for okay. you? Okay, so being transparent again, I have my own therapist. And mm-hmm. this is something that I had to work with her on because, like I said, I'm a people person. I like everyone that's in my life. I go above and beyond for people because I want them to feel loved. I want to, you know, like you have somebody to talk to if you need it. Yeah. So for me, doing that a lot, a lot of those boundaries were blurred. So people would take, take, take. And because I'm a giver, you know, I naturally just give. Mm-hmm. So I had to implement those boundaries in platonic, you know, friendships and even romantic relationships because... I think self-worth also plays a major part in that, too. Definitely. And what I mean by that is, you know, when you don't know your worth, you will allow people to mistreat you. You'll allow them to disrespect you, you know, just basically do whatever you want. And they think that they can get away with that. Mm-hmm. So when I say what what you allow will continue is basically until you had enough, you know, until you set those boundaries and implement them and stand on your word you know, then that's when people will stop, you know, mistreating you. And you mm-hmm. have to be strong in those boundaries because if not, people, you know, a lot of people are opportunists. They'll do what they can to you, yeah. you know, to get what they want. So, And a lot of people that that opportunistic mindset, that that way they go about things is just natural to them. Yeah. And they may not even see that they're doing something wrong. Yeah. It's just what they do. And I'm big on, you know, not just what you allow is, is what will continue, but also if you don't define what something is, you allow that other person to define what yeah. it is for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's huge. So for a lot of people, you know, even myself and you say yourself included, setting boundaries is something that takes work. It does. Yeah. Because especially when you don't have those boundaries and people are used to doing whatever, as soon as you implement those boundaries, they're like, what, man? Like two weeks ago, you didn't let me do this. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it's hard. And sometimes you're like, well, I know for myself, I, w- I wanted to give in a little bit, but I had to understand, no, I did implemented this boundary because it did this to me yeah you know so it's kind of standing firm in that boundary and those beliefs yeah and the hard part for me with setting boundaries was that i don't like for people to be upset with me, me. either it makes me uneasy yeah and I, I had I, to learn I to be okay with really that really uneasy when mm-hmm. people are upset with me and then it's like okay well if i set this boundary I'm protecting my emotions mm-hmm. and I'm doing the right thing, but then they're going to feel a way about it. And I don't want somebody to feel a way about something I did yeah, regardless 100%. of the reason. And that's, that's hard for me, man. Me too. You know, it's all a learning game and I had to understand, you know, it's not, I have to protect myself. You yeah. know? So I understand that you may be upset with my decision, but I have to protect myself at the end of the day. And I have this boundary for a specific reason. And hopefully you can understand what the reason is, you mm-hmm. know, but if not, then I'm sorry. <laughs> so now I'll, I'll ask you this question. As far as setting boundaries, you know, because people set boundaries in like romantic relationships mm-hmm. and things like that. But setting boundaries in friendships, mm-hmm. is that something that you've encountered and had to do? Because I feel like mm-hmm. it's it's not that it's easy to set a boundary because it is definitely difficult. But a lot of times people find themselves in friendships where it's like I don't want to set that boundary with my friend because we've been friends for so long and 10 plus years and it's like how do I tell them to not be them or how will they take it or will this affect the friendship Mm -hmm. so is that something in friendships that you found yourself having to do before so I'm gonna say this my best friend she's very good at setting boundaries (laughs) so (laughs) she is actually one of those people who kind of I didn't have any boundaries so Mm. she kind of taught me you know hey so like specifically I know unless it's an emergency, don't call that girl after 10 o'clock because she works early morning and that's 
her personal boundaries. She knows, like, hey, I have to get up at work at 3 o'clock in the morning, so please don't call me mm. unless it's 911. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that's a boundary that she set. And then, you know, I started to learn my own boundaries. Like, you will... So I had friends who used to kind of say slick comments and mm. in, in a joking manner. Yeah. So, like, those are things that I had to learn how to check. So, like, you know, if you can't stop doing this, then I can no longer be your friend because, you know, it doesn't align with my sense of self-worth. And sometimes that's not easy to do. Yeah. So I've walked away from friendships, you know, 10 years plus because of things like that. And, you know, you implementing those boundaries and people around you not understanding them. So, but I'm grateful that I'm in a place where, you know, although I parted ways with some friends, you know, for implementing boundaries, mm -hmm. that were it's in a sane manner. It's not any jealousy. It's not any yeah. hate. It's, I still want to see you do well, but right now you can't sit at the table with me. But mm -hmm. I wish you the utmost best. And I think that's how a lot of people have to learn. Because yeah. when you part ways, every end of a relationship, whether that's romantic or whether it's a friendship, it doesn't always have to be negative. Sometimes, you know, God... You know, we begin God, <laughs> but you know, you just have to part ways, you know, where he's yeah. taking you may not align with what their goal is or what he has aligned for them. So you have to learn how to part ways and just be okay with, you know, losing some people along the way. And that's as easy as and I can say it. Yeah. Because a lot of people struggle with loss. So yeah. it's like, dang, I don't want to lose anybody else. Losing a friend, yeah. I would say that's more than a. I will hurt me more than romantic relationships. Yeah, so, you know, like, honestly. I used to always say, guys come and go, but you're my friend. Like, you know, I hold you to a higher standard. So it, mm -hmm. it, I can definitely understand it being difficult. That's major for a lot of people, man. And a lot of people just, that's a hard step to take. It is. You know, I've had moments where I've had to, like, just separate myself from certain people mm -hmm. or certain friends. And like you said, it's not that I wish you any negativity or anything like that. I want the best for you. Yeah. But the season I'm in and where mm -hmm. I'm at right yeah. now you can't necessarily be a part of that season for me yeah and sometimes you got to have that real conversation with people yeah that's yeah. that's big all right okay so let me see before we transition okay oh bang right here okay finding positive coping skills is something that you mentioned in there yeah so for a lot of people we have lot of negative coping skills yes. and you can go on social media any day mm -hmm. of the week and see a lot of negative coping yeah. skills whether it's smoking drinking mm -hmm. people being promiscuous people just like hiding in a house all day every yeah. day like don't leave don't go nowhere don't talk to nobody um so what are some positive coping skills that could be an alternative for some people who find themselves kind of like just masking what they go through okay um, I'm going to start off by what you touched bases on. So the sexual promiscuity or the drinking or, mm. the, you know, the smoking. Um, I feel like a lot of times because it's exemplified in the media, because you say your favorite rapper is doing it, that it's OK. Yeah. But a lot of times it's the lack of having someone to talk to or, like you said, those positive coping mechanisms to kind of help you navigate through those challenges. So just speaking off my own personal experiences, I remember like when. I was going through that really trying time again, and I was trying to figure out, well, what works best for me? What's going to bring me peace? And one of the things that I've absolutely found that I loved was hiking. Okay. Mm. So I'm a black girl, and I don't know about you, but we don't really <laughs> do this. <laughs> but um, hiking. So I had a friend at the time, and we had this entire pamphlet of all of the different hiking spots and waterfalls in the state of Connecticut. Mm. And we would flip through the book and, like, pick a random site. And, and that's where we were go. going for the day. You know, we were in some really racist towns and then we were in some really beautiful <laughs> sites and stuff. But through doing that, I learned 
you know, nature brings me peace. And that's a really positive coping skill for myself. For some other people, I've learned that music. So listening to music, going mm. for a walk, exercising, cooking. You know, you have to be in tune with what you like because what may work best for me, not always yeah, may, may not work, work for you. Yeah. So I think it's definitely knowing yourself and finding those things that you find joy in and just taking the time to kind of utilize those activities during trying times to kind of help you get through it. So, yeah. I think that's definitely important um, because a lot of people, you know, they just go to what's easy. Yeah. And like you said, what's exemplified in the media, you know, if I'm listening to music and I'm listening to future and he's like, future might not be the right person. You know, he's, he's <laughs> sipping lean and popping pills to make the pain go he's away. And it's like different girlfriend every day of the week. He does have, he's got a lot of baby mamas, man. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that, you know, it's, it's easy because that may be what people connect to, mm -hmm. but it may not, it, it's easy, but it's not effective. No, it's self-destructive you hit the nail on the head is and it, it it makes whatever you're going through worse because yeah. now you're ignoring it you're not dealing with it you're acting like it doesn't exist yeah. and even though you're you feel like it doesn't exist it's over there in the corner hiding and getting bigger and bigger and bigger yeah and i tell everybody eventually you're gonna have to deal with it mm -hmm. it's gonna come up and you know it's either gonna come up in a relationship or or some other yeah. avenue it's gonna come up and you're gonna have to deal with it so you, you can't run from the work a lot of people will try and you, they try but you know i think like you said you have to take it head on yeah because if not it manifests in other areas of your life so and it, it's gonna come out <laughs> it's it gonna do it yeah, it sure does <laughs> <laughs> so transitioning from that you are in grad school yes i am going to get your msw yes at uconn uconn okay gang gang you feel <laughs> me? um so what is it like balancing life in school you know being vice president of triumph talk justice advisor at the justice alliance being a, a, a student and all the other things that you balance and keep in the air what is it like balancing life in school um i'm gonna put it in one word it's difficult <laughs> it's it's difficult. So like you said, I'm, I'm part of a different, a couple of different organizations, but I'm also a part of organizations at the school. So mm -hmm. I'm a part of like the graduate students of color um, and different things like that. So it's very hard to juggle those different things. So what helps me the most, oh my goodness, it's a lifesaver, is to-do lists and calendars. Mm -hmm. So especially like the first time of the semester, I'm writing down due dates. And these are all techniques that my best friend taught me how to do because I'm not the most organized person. Yeah. I'm going to just be honest. Be honest, So, yeah. like, you know, writing everything down and making sure that because I'm a giver, sometimes I notice that I overextend myself. So even though I have all this stuff on my plate, say if you needed my help, I'll be like, yeah, I'll try to make you work. I'll try to fit it all in. Yeah. But I know that can over overexerting yourself can kind of lead to burnout. So I've learned how to, like, utilize my calendars and to-do lists, but also – check in with myself to make sure, hey, am I in the mo right mental capacity to take on whatever I'm trying to do? So making sure that I'm not burning myself out and also dedicating time, specific homework days yeah. or Sundays are my self-care days. I know on Sunday I'm not doing anything work-related. I'm not doing anything school-related. That's my me day. Mm. And, you know, during a semester it's hard, especially with internships coming up too. But <laughs> That's a big piece <laughs> of that. It's, it's hard, but it's doable. And again, I feel like my prayer gets me through everything. So, you know, sometimes I cry myself to sleep because it's, it's hard. It, it could be it, overwhelming. It's, it's what? Underwhelming? That's it. <laughs> 
It is, but, you know, praying and just, you know, utilizing those calendars and all those different avenues definitely is something that really helps me get through it. Mm-hmm. It's not easy, but I, I think for me personally, I've always been the kind of person to focus on the end goal. So yeah. no matter as I'm on the journey, you know, yes, you're going to have a couple bumps in the road, but what do you remember what you're doing this for? So that's something that definitely helps me. And I, I like to tell people too, like time management is the yes. hardest part of grad school. Yeah. Because you like you you already understand how to be a student mm-hmm. and do work and write a paper and all those things, but balancing that time, especially being heavy in this adult world and mm-hmm. doing different things and having different things you're a part of, that time management is like the hardest part of grad school. Mm-hmm. I agree. And you know, you mentioned something you said Sundays are your day for self care, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Self care Sundays. You watch Insecure? I used to. Is that yeah. okay? Because I heard self care Sundays in my mind immediately went to Insecure. Yeah. Okay, so Team Lawrence or Team Issa? What side you on? Issa. Everybody on Issa's side. My oh, man Lawrence, dog. Mm. I don't know. I need that next season <laughs> to come out. I was, I was Team Issa for a while, and then I, was, I started getting upset, and I was like, man, I'm with I Lawrence. haven't watched it in a minute. Maybe I should rewatch it tonight. That's what I'm doing. You yeah. See, that's on the list. Go I'm back. You gotta catch it. back up, yeah. man. But um okay, so another question I wanted to ask, grad school related, right? Mm-hmm. So you did your undergrad in psychology. Yes, psych. My concentration was mental health. Yeah. Mm. So what made you transition from getting a degree in psychology to a degree in social work? Did you get the psychology degree always with the end goal in mind? It's gonna be social work, Mm-mm. or okay? Life. So, like I said, I used to be. So as I'm getting older, I'm coming more into myself. Mm. I used to be a people pleaser. And I remember my mom really wanted me to, if you're going to go to school and, you know, you're taking on loans and I'm helping you pay for school, you know, let's make something that, you know, you're passionate about. But, you know, it also brings in money, you know. Mm -hmm. So I always knew I wanted to be a social worker. Um, My mom was trying to push me to be a nurse. My mom was trying to piss me, okay, you like psychology? Well, why don't you be a psychiatrist? And for a long time, I'm like, okay, you know, that combines all of my interests. Yeah, it kind of makes sense. But it wasn't fulfilling. So I took a risk, and I was like, okay, I can understand that you may be upset with me, but this is something that I want to do, and I have to learn mm. how to live my life for me. And living my life for me makes sure that I'm picking a career that's going to bring me a sense of joy. Yeah. So that's how I transitioned to social work. So I always knew I wanted to do it. I was always interested in DCF. I have a couple aunts who used to work at DCF and I used to be like, Oh my goodness, your job sounds so exciting. You know, it's unpredictable every day. And I love that. I don't like things to be predictable. Yeah. So I always knew it, but it was all about taking that risk. Okay. Life is all about taking risks. I, I was definitely wondering that. I'm like, okay. Cause psychology and social work, like they're, they're similar, but they're yeah. not similar at yeah, all not in at the all. same way. They're very different from one yeah, another. But I even feel like a lot of things that I learned in psychology, I use it to help mm. the people that I do see. So it works. So knowing that social work has always been your thing and like you always wanted to be a social work, what's the ultimate goal in social work? What do you, where do you see yourself working and doing and impacting? Um, Anything I do in life, I like to go big. Mm. So that's just the kind of person that I am. So my end goal is a private practice. Okay. So I want a private practice that, you know, helps, you know, individuals, families, and even groups, but also provides them with employment. You know, you have the counseling. We have resources where, you know, if you need a house, housing, and all those different kind of programs, that's my dream goal. And believe it or not, it aligns with something that my mom wants to do. So my mom has always had a dream of opening a similar organization. So I'm like, okay, well, I could run it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So hand in hand. But that's my that's my dream goal. 
And I see you taking the steps to do it. And I think that it's definitely going to happen for you. Thank you. And I'm going to be happy to see it happen, man. Thank you. So uh, last thing I want to get into is the benefits of therapy. Because, you know, like we were mentioning, a lot of people that look like us, we do not go to therapy. Yeah. It's like, especially. Especially being spiritual, too. Being spiritual and then having. Like, I know my father's side of the family may not necessarily understand mental health the Mm -hmm. same way my mother's side would. But even on that side, they may not understand it as much as we would understand it now. Yeah. And, you know, I remember even even being transparent, even with my brother. Mm -hmm. And I don't think he would mind me sharing this story. But my brother has ADD. Mm -hmm. I I think I do, too. at At the time... He was diagnosed with ADD. Like, it was so different back then. Yeah. And the way they saw it was different. And my grandmother blamed my mother for my brother having ADD because she was going through postpartum and felt sad and depressed and all these different things. And, like, just knowing that that was a mindset people had that, like, yo, you gave your child this because you felt the way, like, and my mom not being so far removed from people thinking like that. And it's like, okay. The, the way people see mental health has shifted. Yes, drastically. Drastically from that standpoint. So, uh, where am I going with this? The benefits of therapy. Okay, yeah. bang, bringing it back. So I know that in their time, therapy might not have ever been an option. Mm-hmm. But now in our time, it is an option. Mm-hmm. So for anyone who is like skeptical, I don't want to go. I don't want to be seen as crazy. I'm no. not about to go talk to I some, was say that too. some talk to some some person about my problems who don't know me. What would you say to that person? Um, okay, so where I was gonna start is the crazy piece because I again mm. I remember going through things and when I was going through those really tough emotions, they would be like, "Stop! You're acting crazy!" or "Stop this!" You know. I grew up in a very spiritual family, so it was always like, "Pray about it and you'll be okay. Pray mm. about it and you'll be okay." And I've learned that yes. You can pray about it, but the Lord has also equipped people on this earth to help you get through them things. Like, come on. So, you know, like I said, I'm an advocate for therapy because when you go in, so I'm going to talk about my therapist a little bit. So when you go into therapy, the good thing is that you can pick people, you pick your therapist, you know, Mm. you can't pick your parents, but you can pick (laughs) your therapist. And I think psychology today is actually a really great platform that allows you to fear to those things and find the person that basically aligns with you. So I have a therapist that looks just like me. Mm. I'm black. She's black. I'm 23. She's, I think she's late 20s. So it's like I can relate to her. Yeah. And, you know, just kind of feel that person out, you know. So just how you would feel a friend out when you're getting to begin a friendship is like you can see if you guys connect. If you guys don't connect, then, you know, okay, you know, you I'm not really feeling it with you and you have the opportunity to find it with somebody else. So I would definitely say find someone who fits you, you know, personable like you. But I know it's not always easy getting out of that comfort zone and going to see to talk people, to talk to people, because you can feel like I could just talk about my to my friends, you know, Uh, and a lot of people do that. They just talk to their friends and your friends. Okay, come in full circle. Right. Mm -hmm. You said in that video on the Triumph Talk uh Instagram page, Mm -hmm. you mentioned something about friends having the capacity to listen to you. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, like you're saying, a lot of people will go to their friends and their friends don't have that capacity. So, I'm thankful because my friend's also a social worker. So, we're we're really, Mm. we're in tune with one another. So, before you vent, you ask, hey, are you in a good headspace to 
kind of listen to what I'm going through right now. Sometimes they might be, okay, I can listen to it, but other times they might not be. They might be going through their own things. So if you don't ask these questions, you kind of just unload all your problems on someone else. And mm. you, you might not think of it, but it's transference. So now they have all of these emotions that they were pre- previously dealing with, and you just add it on to their load. Yeah. So, you know, making sure they're in the right space to talk to you, you know? You don't want to give them more than they can handle. And although you may feel a little lighter, they might not be. They're going to so. feel a lot heavier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's that's major. Yeah. Um, and then bouncing off of that, you I remember reaching out to you a while ago because you had a therapy resource guy. Yes. And I appreciate you for giving me that. Thank you. And I'm actually taking the steps finally to like. Yay! It's a big step. So I I applaud you because this year, you know, as much as I'm in this advocacy stuff, I said to myself, too, I'm going to make this the year that I Mm. work on myself. You know, all of those feelings that I've internalized and getting a therapist and, you know, speaking with somebody. And the great thing about having a therapist is they're totally unbiased. So they basically go off of what you tell them. And that's why I say this all the time. If you're going to have a therapist, don't just go to them. And if you're going to lie to yourself. Because they're help you get through your problems. And if you're lying to them, you're really not working on it. You're working yeah, around it. You're, so you're definitely working around it. Yeah. So along with that therapy guide, it, you know, that being a resource, but you also being a resource yourself. Yeah. If anyone else would want that guide or, or needs help finding a therapist, can they reach out to yes, you? Can they you can. direct them to somebody? No hesitation. Okay. No hesitation. I'm a very open person. Like I love to help people get the help that they need so if i can Mm. be that person for someone i'm all for it so yes guys please feel free to reach (laughs) out i gave you my personal instagram as well as my linkedin and just message me i'm not i don't bite i promise so (laughs) pretty friendly okay and then the last question i'm gonna ask you and i like to ask everybody this question uh what would you tell a younger you that you wish you knew before wow what would you tell a younger you that's the question I get everybody thinking. They'd be like, oh, man. Wow. Don't give up. Okay. Don't give up. Don't give up. Because I remember there being times that I just wanted to give up. Yeah. You know? Don't give up. Okay. Give up. Okay. So, that hey, that wow. may be what that we That question us. hit home. Wow. <laughs> <That> okay. <laughs> Let me see. You got me in my feels real quick. Oh, man. <laughs> But I want to say thank you again, Alana, for coming on the show. You know, this was something that I, I really wanted to make happen, and I'm happy that you wanted to make it happen, too. Yes, um, I had fun. It, it, it's, it's a fun thing to do. People come in nervous, and then they leave. Yes, like, Yo, I was going to say, fun. You, like, know, you saw me, I was like, Ugh. But, you know, <laughs> leaving here, I definitely feel at peace. This was nice. Definitely, yeah, definitely, and I, I, this won't be the last time you're on the show. This, oh, we're gonna make something yeah, happen. I'll come back every time you want me to. <laughs> but uh, thank you again for being part of the show. Uh, where can people find you again? Your LinkedIn, your Instagram, so, all that fun stuff. Yes, they can find me on my LinkedIn at Alana Scott, and then my personal Instagram is at I'm Lana Scott. So yes, like I said before, please feel free to reach out. Whether you need resources, you just want somebody to talk to, you need a friend, you want a hiking yeah. partner. I'm open <laughs> to it all, so don't hesitate to reach out to me. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Thank you for listening to the Daily Dimensions podcast. And until next time.